Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Tea and Murder and I Get the Christie podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Tundy Norman. We're part interview show, part book club, and all I Get the Christie. We have here today Rachel Housel Hall. Rachel is the author of 12 novels, including the best selling thrillers What Never Happened, We Lie Here, and multiple award nominated These Toxic Things, and, and Now She's Gone. A Los Angeles native, Rachel is a former member of the board of directors for Mystery Writers of America and was featured was a featured writer on NPR's acclaimed Crime in the City series and the National Endowment for the Arts weekly podcast. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to talk about this book and meet you and learn more about this podcast and how I, <laughs> I relate to Agatha Christie of all dames, right? All the da- And all the dames in all the world, she had to walk uh-huh. into this podcast? Walk into mine. Something like that. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much for being here. So let's just start out by, will you tell us a little bit about your relationship to Agatha Christie and how you came to her work? Well, it, it was an accidental um, meeting for me and um, Agatha Christie. <laughs> I was an English-American literature major at mm-hmm. UC Santa Cruz, but you know those were the classics, the canon, Shakespeare, all those guys, and then you know some American uh, marginalized writers, but not genre, you know, mm. and quotation marks genre. Um, and then after graduation, uh, maybe three years, I met who, uh, David, who had actually become my husband. And on our first date, he showed me one of his favorite films, and it was Murder by Death. And, you know, it's a satire by um, Neil Simon, using all the tropes of mystery from Truman Capote to Agatha Christie to Philip Marlowe, all of it. That's right. And it's like, oh yeah, Agatha Christie. I've never read her. And so, you know, I started reading her and um, the first one that I read, of course, was, and then there were none. And I absolutely love that one Mm -hmm. because, you know, every film that I've seen, you know, up until that point, 
was kind of like that movie, you know, people go on an island and then they're off one by one. Um, then, of course, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, all these films, well, they were filmed and then it's like, oh, let me seek this out. Mm. And that, that was my introduction. So I, I would say movies, which is so typical of Los Angeles, movies actually helped introduce me to her. That's so interesting. And after and then there were none, did you start down any road in particular with her work or were you just kind of taking as taking it as it came? Just kind of kicking it as it can. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I, I liked that one. And then there were none, most of all, because mm. um, as a, you know, a, a church kid growing up, I was very familiar with this, you know, Seven Deadly Sins mm-hmm. um, as a kid who loved movies. I loved uh, the movie Seven with Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. So, and as a as a as a English American literature major, um, Dante's Inferno and Chaucer and all these um, classics that have this kind of trope of people representing sin. Mm-hmm. And again, growing up in church, that kind of really connected to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, of all the stories that seemed like the most personal of them for me. That's so interesting. And so, I mean, that's one of her standalone books, obviously. And you write both standalone and series books. You have Detective Eloise Norton. Um, I'm so interested in what, for you as a writer, makes uh, like a character that you want to keep coming back to. Did you originally write her as what would be a series or was it like, oh, I need to visit with her again? Um, I I wrote her as um, a series character. It Mm -hmm. was an interesting genesis. Uh, my first book was actually published um, the first anniversary of 9-11. And that was, you know, oh boy. pretty disappointing because, you know, my the book was called A Quiet Storm. And it was about a black Los Angeles family dealing with bipolar disorder, which is nothing to do with the anniversary, you know, books that came out. Sure. And so it took me a moment to get another book deal because, um, Back then in 2003, four and five, they were, they meaning the publishing industry, mm-hmm. were interested in um, black stories that were more East Coast, um, <laughs> which, you know, they, they thought was more black than us here in L.A. with palm trees and blue sky. Publishing back in the East had their ideas of, you know, tenements and snow and trash yeah. and all of it, you know, crammed together. and. They told me, they, and I have a, a letter that says this, that my voice wasn't black enough, which is crazy because, you know, I've been black all my life. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and it, yeah, it was ridiculous. And oh, you know, like boy. I said, I, I have all those letters. And I bet you one, do. I have a folder like that too. One thing, we're petty, right? <laughs> yep. So, um, so I, 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 this was in my 30s. Yeah. And I, it was time for my husband and I to, you know, start thinking about our future and we got pregnant. And in, I think it was the second OBGYN appointment I had, my doctor's like, these are some strange, this is a strange lump you have in your, your right breast. It could be pregnancy, but let's have it checked out some other, you know, some more. And so she sent me to uh, imaging. And after test, after test, after test, it was a malignant um, phylloides tumor that was growing because of the estrogen from my pregnancy. Oh, my God. And so 
yeah, six months pregnant. I mean, here I am, 33 years old. Yeah. Which it's like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm right. trying to have a baby here. Yeah. So I, I had a partial mastectomy um, on the, the first Tuesday of the month. And I know it was the first Tuesday of November because it was the election where Gray Davis and Arnold Schwarzenegger were facing each other and voted off Gray Davis and Schwarzenegger became the governor. Yeah. And missed that election. So it broke my heart that I missed that election. Yeah. But um, I, my, my daughter survived. I survived, obviously. Oh um, but then I had another scare three years after that. And so now I'm thinking about my mortality. Yeah. And how, you know, what things I want to do before leaving this world. And this was the moment where Terry McMillan wrote uh, Waiting to Excel and Walter Mosley published Devil in a Blue Dress. Yeah. I'm like, well, I want to do something where it's Waiting to Excel meets Devil in a Blue Dress. Yes. And I'm not a cop, but, you know, I can learn. And yeah, it's scary, but I kind of did the scariest thing, which is facing cancer. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so I started, you know, writing this story. And I'm like, well, I wanted to be from my neighborhood. And that's how Lou Norton came about. Um, it was my my Hail Mary in terms of uh, my survival, getting those things that I wanted to do before leaving um, leaving the world. Uh, and, you know, I wanted just I prayed for one book and I got four, which was a wonderful surprise. Yeah. And, you know, I loved the series and I miss her. Um, but I also like standalones. Yeah. You know? There are some books that Lou, some stories that Lou um, wouldn't be good for, mm. including this book, They All Fall Down, yeah. where I looked women who weren't so together as Lou Norton, who yeah. have a weird backgrounds or questionable outlooks on life. Yeah. And standalones allowed me to do that. Yeah. No, she, she, and they she's all such fall a down character. was my first. Yeah, it, yeah, they all fall down was my first standalone after ending the series. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, what was the the impetus then for kind of the like the what was the inspiration for using the kind of and then there were none structure within that? It was actually Ruth Ware's um, Cabin Ten, Woman in Cabin yeah. Ten, or something. Woman in Cabin Ten. Yeah, I read that. And it's like, ooh, a trapped boat kind of story. Hmm, I like that. Trapped room, locked room. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Then I read, and then there were none. Mm-hmm. And I had always wanted to write a story that, you know, made me think of Seven, which I absolutely loved. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I had written this procedural, so I knew more about crime and punishment. And so I was like, well, let me, I pitched this to my editor, like, well, let me try and do this kind of mashup of seven meets, and then there were none, mm. and she liked it, and it worked, and here we are today. Yeah, I mean, it, as you say seven, I completely see that, and, uh-huh. you know, when I was reading the book, because I, and then there were none is actually not one of my favorite Christie's. I find it mm-hmm. really dark, and, yeah. um, and uh, you somehow made it even darker. <laughs> You know, it was like, it is like, because, and I think it's because, you know, 
and then there were none has it's very kind of it has an allegorical element to it mm-hmm. where the characters mm-hmm. don't always seem fully human whereas mm-hmm. your characters were so human in their flaws that there is yeah. a, an additional darkness to uncovering the layers of depravity that exist within people um, and never yeah. getting a reprieve from them. You know, I kept thinking like, oh, the next thing we're going to find out is that she actually tried to help this girl or something. And it like never comes for you. You're like, no, oh, she's no. even worse than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there are two reasons for for that. So when I was in, uh, in college, um, in one of my English uh, classes, mm-hmm. we were studying Shakespeare and the Dark Lady sonnets. Um, and, you know, he's describing a woman with dark skin and coarse hair and, you know, all these things. And the mm-hmm. professor's like, well, who is he writing to? And we're just spitballing here. And I dared say that maybe he was writing to a black woman. And she thought it was the most ridiculous thing that ever was said. And it's like, well, black folks were over. He wrote a whole play. Yeah, exactly. You know, so so yeah. if a black man's there, somebody had to have him. Right. And that's most likely a uh, so what's the deal? Right. Um, so I wanted to kind of get back and I dedicated it to that professor. Oh, damn. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's like, well, you know, it's English and we mustn't put our American viewpoints on this kind of, like, this, this is bull. Yeah. So part of it uh, was driven by anger. Mm-hmm. And again, as I said earlier, if writers or anything were petty. So there was this. Yeah. And also I wanted... I want the wages of Stanley's death. That's what I grew up hearing. Mm-hmm. And I wanted um, to showcase people who think they were right in some ways, even mm-hmm. though they were wrong. We yeah. all think we are heroes in our story. Dylan yeah. thinks they're heroes in the story. Yeah. And so I, I actually, every person in this book I did a lot of research on cases that were similar Mm. so people kind of actually exist Miriam Macy she's like a mix of those cheerleading moms who uh were beating up teenage girls because they wanted their daughters to be head cheerleader and there was another mom who drove another teen to end her life yeah so I'm basing them on people who think that they are right and they're wrong and I find that, yes, uh, troubling, but also highly entertaining because, mm. you know, that's what life, that's what life is. Yeah. And uh, reading the uh, and then there were none, you know, it, what, it wasn't dark enough for, for me. <laughs> and yeah, so I wanted to, I wanted to go there. Yeah. And I wanted to be first person which was different from, and then there were not. It is different. And yeah, and I, I really like that. And what, what it made me realize, um, which I hadn't really considered because I, it's, again, not a book that I reread that often, um, is mm-hmm. how, even though it's not in first person, the first part of the book is told with slightly different tonality for each character uh-huh. as you're hearing their words in their head. Um, yeah. So there is an element of that a little bit, but it's... Um, it's still removed enough that you don't feel like you're getting the full depth of the character. Um, so you're kind of using them the first person that I think that's why I kept going like, well, we're going to find out she's like really a nice person. (laughs) You know, you like keep like, you keep like reaching for that. Like, well, if I'm in her head, like I have to eventually find something I can hold on to, but it just like gets more slippery and slippery. Yeah. And especially if it's first person, because it's like, well, 
how is she going to tell the story if she's sick? Because I didn't want to do, oh, she's a ghost or anything like that. Right. And if, oh, the ending of that story, and then there were none, it's like, well, how how is she going to do that? Yeah. And it took me a moment, but I I, I figured it out. You did figure it out. We won't say how, but you figured it out. Yeah. So in terms of like, so one of the things for me that is the most interesting about Christy is her use of structure and she kind of gives herself a problem set. And and then, then there were none is like the ultimate problem set. You put 10 people on an island, mm-hmm. they all die. How did it happen? Um, mm-hmm. And in terms of like using that structure, how did you find that to be like an opportunity or is it a per, like a parameter? Is it something that you felt hemmed you in? Well, I'm I'm a control freak, so I like the perimeter. <laughs> I, I really do. It's like, yeah. oh, structure. But I think that's what that. Christy likes too. I think that's why she likes the mm-hmm. problem set. Yeah. Yeah. So my my issue was um, in this structure, how to who goes first? Yeah. Who gets killed first? And I wanted it to do, even though we're told all sins are equal. There's some sins that aren't as sinny. Well, <laughs> Sinful. Yeah, as, as, yeah, as, as, as bad mm-hmm. as some of the others. And I wanted that last thing to be like a culmination of all of it. So, yeah, yeah the biggest part was who goes first, um, what sin are they going to represent, and the pacing of it. How long is this actual story going to be? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, your, your book is much longer than hers. So you really had to mm-hmm. kind of give it a lot more like depth and layer uh, than hers because hers is like bang, 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 bang. People are dying so quickly yeah. that like some of them are two or three sentences and yeah. the murder is over, which to be honest, I find kind of funny. Like I think there are some of the deaths in her, like your book, I don't find to like draw on that kind of glibness, but you know, like mm-hmm. when the bear clock falls in and then there were none, that's a funny scene. Yeah, and I, you know, I... I wanted it to be deeper. Yeah. I really did. Um, I wanted it to be a study of um, sin and Americans and how we deal with it. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to reflect why people do the things they do. Yeah. You know, Sam, she was awful in some ways, but she was brave and smart and strong at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, so I that takes some time. And I, I actually... You know, death is the most awful thing that could ever happen. So I didn't want to treat it as though it's like a bubble. I yeah. wanted to really um, pull in to the story. Why? Yeah. Why are they on the island? And that takes that takes some time. Yeah. And I will say, I feel like each of your deaths, you really treat them as terrible in the sense yeah. of that dying is a scary, frightening thing. That when people yeah. are faced with it, they really panic. Um, yeah. And that's and, like, there's a sense of panic throughout the book. Yeah. And part of that also came out of my cancer experience mm. where, you know, I remember just being angry yeah. uh, during like Cancer Awareness Month and people put on the, the pink t-shirts and the yeah. pink bows. And for me, it's like, it's more than that. This is, this is so easy to say, I support it and I'm going to wear this thing. And you have no idea just how scary this is. Yeah. And I, I, I wanted to put that real, that, that real fear of your life ending into this book. Because yeah. I, know, I, know, I knew how it felt yeah. to be terrified and not knowing what's around the corner. Yeah, that comes across. And I found it difficult at times that like panic really pervades the, 
the book. Yay! <laughs> Thank you so much for that sense of panic. I was I was on adrenaline after that book for like a good 48 hours. Like I was like sleep is not happening for a while now. That that means a lot to me. I like <laughs> I like those stories. Like um we went to see Les Miserables uh for like the sixth or seventh time. Mm-hmm. And Every time I leave, I, it it stays with me. It bothers me, mm. uh, and I like those type of stories where you, you're just kind of sitting and thinking about it, and it it can't leave you. You know, it's like this odor in the room mm-hmm. that I don't know, perfume or onions that just stays there until time makes you either uh, get accustomed to it mm-hmm. or air comes and blows. So yeah, I like those types of stories. Well, you tell them. So it's worked out for you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So now is a good time to dive into the book itself. So I'm just going to do a little brief historical note um, about And Then There Were None, which obviously is the book we're talking about before we start talking, like do the book club portion of the of the podcast. So uh, And Then There Were None was published in the UK in 1939 under its original terrible title, Ten Little N-Words, which I'm not going to say on the podcast, uh, based on a minstrel song, which was used as a plot device throughout the book. Um, It was published as And Then There Were None in the US in 1940, as its original title was deemed uh, too racist for the American market, and then Ten Little Indians in between 1964 and 1985, which is obviously also racist. Um, In 1985, all subsequent publications, both in the UK and the US and around the world, were titled And Then There Were None. Um, If you want to hear more about the changing title and how this relates to uh, the current news of Christie's words being changed throughout her work and my opinion on that, you can listen to part two of our listener Q&A, which is up on uh, your podcast platform of choice. And, um, and then the run-on was adapted by Christie for the stage in 1943, a play for which Christie changed the ending because she felt the novel was uh, too bleak for audiences during the war. Uh, in that version, Philip Lombard and Vera Claythorne fall in love and leave the island together. Um, it has ad- and additionally been adapted many times for film and television, and it's actually Christie's most adapted work. Um, this book is not only Christie's best-selling book, it's also the best-selling crime book of all time, according to Christie's estate, <laughs> with over 100 million copies sold. Um, while the critical reception was overall strong for this book, it's largely due to the ingeniousness of the plot and structure rather than the writing itself. Uh, Christie considered this one of her most difficult books to write, and she approached it as a structural problem to be solved, for as, as she did for many of her books. Um, Christie noted, quote, I don't say that it is the play or the book that of mine that I like the best, or even that I think it is my best, but I do think in some ways that it is a better piece of craftsmanship than anything else I have written, uh, end quote. I also just want to bring up uh, writer Stuart Turton's theory about this book, which is that Christie created a book in which she could kill evil, quote, evil versions of all of her famous characters, uh, Justice Wargrave being Poirot, Emily Brunt being Miss Marple, Anthony Marston being Hastings, and so on. Um, I love this theory, and you can hear Stuart talk about it in his episode during season one. He also calls this book uh, the original slasher flick. So uh, that is our little historical note. Um, And Rachel, will you give us a one minute or so synopsis of this book? Sure. Um, Our lead character, Miriam Macy, uh, another native of Los Angeles, gets an invitation to what she thinks is one of those type of big brother survivor reality shows to come to this island off the coast of Mexico and possibly win something, hopefully money. And she has issues. Um, her, she's divorced. She is a woman of a certain age and her husband has remarried 
her daughter's uh, dance instructor. So she's a little angry and she's done some stuff that requires a lawyer and lawyers require money. So she is quick to uh, take this invitation and she joins six other uh, people with varying backgrounds on this trip across the ocean uh, to live and what she thinks compete for a prize until things start going wrong. <laughs> exactly. And we won't have any spoilers as a... Uh... <laughs> As a, um, we, we are allowed to have spoilers for the Christie books on this podcast, but we don't spoil our author's books. So there's that. <laughs> well, I mean, we want people to read it. Um, and not yeah. a, 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 I mean, to be honest, I still read books that are spoiled for me. I don't think it really, some people care, some people don't. I never have, but um, it's nice to not have the books spoiled. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me why you chose um, And Then There Were None, like in particular as and I know in terms of like, you also wanted to, to merge it with seven, but like, what is it about this book in particular that you think like remains relevant for readers? Like, what is it about the structure or the story that you think like continues to make it so popular? Well, it's part of it stems from part of that history that you read, mm -hmm. you know, coming from a, a formal education where everything English couldn't be touched or, you know, redone. Uh, the the slap on my hand for thinking, you know, black people can be in a novel like that, that helped drive it. And that title, the original title. I mean, if you're too racist for 1930s, 40s America, right. that's, that's saying something. Right. Like, oh my gee. Yeah. So that kind of, again, the pettiness drove me <laughs> to kind of men on this story because it is like the story of all stories. And there's, you know, of course, not one uh, black person in this or anyone who looks like me. And so I wanted the character to be the total opposite of the people on that island. I wanted it to be, as I say in my, in my um, dedication, darker and more American. Darker mm -hmm. meaning um, not just color, but the crimes themselves, mm -hmm. uh, crimes that really do affect society and um, makes people choose sides of was that right or was that wrong. Mm -hmm. And this was, again, a perfect structure for that kind of study of, of personality and, uh, of, and sin. So that those, those things mostly drove me to really consider, um, and then there were none mm -hmm. uh, for the book. And it, you know, it, it also... I got to use all my my education from, you know, church to school to the mythology, all of it. It's mm. like this was me showing how smart I was. <laughs> to be honest, it's like, well, wait, let me let me call it this and let me name it that. And you know, meanwhile, it's this very contemporary story mm -hmm. with people who, like I said. Um, created uh, or committed crimes that uh, were relevant or are relevant to today's America. Yeah. And when, I mean, when you said kind of making it more American, are there ways in which you think the original book is like particularly British? It doesn't go there. It doesn't like go deep and mm. dark and scary. And it's kind of, you know, glib and that's pretty. Br that's pretty British. <laughs> 
yeah, that's really British. Yeah. Whereas Americans are like, yeah, we're going there yeah. and she's this and he's that. Mm. And this is what they're doing. And yeah. it's, you know, it, we just go for it. Yeah. And I want it to go for it. Yeah. Um, if you're offended, then maybe you should be on that boat going across the sea too. Oh, you know, wow. the, the fighting words over there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do think the one element of the book that I do find to be very British is the class distinction, because there is a, a, a wife and husband um, duo who are uh, domestic servants of the kind of mm -hmm. there to like serve the rest of the people on the island because yeah. they couldn't possibly mm -hmm. go to an island that doesn't have staff. And you have a chef on your island that comes over. Yeah. Um, and I, but I would say being a chef is maybe a slightly more elevated position than like being right because he was a celebrity chef correct in, in a, in a, so he's there because of his pizzazz and not because he can cook right um yeah and uh yeah so I think that element of kind of especially once when his wife the the um domestic help his wife dies and then mm -hmm. the next day he's like up making the breakfast and yeah. like turning down the beds and stuff. And um, that element has always struck me as like particularly British and absurd because it's like, no matter what, you, this is your role. Um, it's my station. Yeah. So can you imagine <laughs> somebody kills my wife and I'm going to like make their bed? Oh, hell no. You know? Yeah, well, and that's maybe a very American out. Or I, I, well, I wonder if there's some British who are like, yeah, that's kind of weird. No, um, I mean, I, I, I think now today we would read that and go, that is insane. Um, but at the yeah. time it was kind of, you do what you're expected to do, stiff upper lip, you know, especially kind of a woman dying, we can all just move past it. Um, <laughs> so while I do think there's a glibness to it, I think the glibness is like kind of a cultural glibness as opposed yeah. to the writer trying to make that point. Um, right. So yeah, so I, I've always found that part of the book really I don't want to call it funny, but like not funny, haha. -ha. Yeah, yeah, and you know there are moments where I make some class distinction, mm -hmm. like especially yeah. with Frank the banker and him looking down on everybody, including Miriam. Mm -hmm. And Miriam, even you know, she's divorced and she can't afford the fancy house anymore, and mm -hmm. so she's living a life that she's not supposed to live at 40 something mm. and she's now in a different bracket yeah. and that drives her to be a certain way to seek certain things yeah. to go places that she wouldn't otherwise go yeah. to retain that status that yeah. she thought yeah that yeah. when you're talking about kind of her in her new home and going to mm -hmm. like visit her ex-husband and her her former yeah. home and like what that distinction feels like um, yeah. that's very visceral. And I think a huge fear of a lot of people who are going through divorce, like the financial element of divorce and what that means, particularly usually to yeah. women. Who keeps the friends, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who keeps the child? I mean, that like, you know, what's, yeah. is my child not going to choose me? Um, so I think, you know, that, that felt very real and very like, mm -hmm. uh, there are fears that just bubble under the surface of all of our choices, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so other than going a little bit darker, going more American, were there other ways you really wanted to make sure that, um, they all fall down differs from, and then there were none? Um, I would say, yeah, the crime, mm -hmm. the, the sins, of course, they're the seven sins, love, mm -hmm. greed, on and on, on. Yeah. But what today makes those sins relevant? 
So I wanted it to be, you know, modern sins, uh, sins that maybe we're all kind of uh, culpable of, you know, pride in some ways. We all kind of touch on that, that kind of jealousy sloth. Sometimes, yeah, Netflix and chill can be nothing but sloth. So I wanted... <laughs> I personally I love, love sloth. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, these sloth is yeah, cute. But <laughs> yeah, I wanted it so that people today um, could say, ah, I know this person. Ah, ooh, I'd do that. Ah, what would I do if, you know, some kids bullied my daughter? Would I would I be the mama bear or would I just let it be and mm. go through the proper channels? So I, I, I wanted that relevancy. I wanted folks to put themselves in your place. And that's the fun of books like these mm. uh, where you're like, Ooh, which character am I? And for this, it's like, Ooh, what, what sin am I? Or am I like a Venn diagram of, of, of sin, which, you know, sometimes we are. So that, that excited me. That, that made me happy. Because it's like, ah, I, I'm I'm writing this, and I recognize parts of myself in this, and that's that's troubling. Even as someone mm-hmm. who I, you know, me who I think I'm good, am I? I mean, I'm a I'm I'm a villain in someone's story. I've mm-hmm. done something. I don't know what it was, but they're offended by it. Sure. Uh, so I I wanted to really really explore the the real life of. Uh, people who are in these stories yeah especially this yeah yeah and then and then put at the extreme right like you can make you can make these behavioral choices that we can perhaps all relate to and then it's like what would I do in the absolute most extreme version of that situation yep exactly Uh, yeah which is obviously be put on an island and slowly murdered um (laughs) (laughs) well and that was the other thing um I wanted uh, this I, I wrote this in like the golden age of reality shows and mm. people doing anything to make money or to be on TV from eating, you know, random weird things oh on Fear Factor to Survivor and Big Brother. So I wanted also a, a critique of, of that more for Miriam than for anyone else. Yeah. Everyone there is there for a different reason. Right. But hers, you know, it's to to be on a show and to show who she is and how special she is and, you know, just how ridiculous reality TV can be. So that was the other thing that I I now remember that I wanted to to talk about. Yeah. Are you a reality TV watcher? I was. And I still kind of am. I find myself watching 90 Day Fiance and maybe some cooking shows, but not as Bachelorette if she's black. (laughs) <laughs> but other than that, I've kind of weaned myself off because, yeah. you know, learning that a lot of it is scripted in a way. Yeah. Um, it's not as random and, and you know, oh, this just kind of happened. It's not as organic as we all think it is. Yeah. So that kind of dims it some for me. On this podcast, we love uh, Ultimatum Queer Love. I don't know if you've seen that one, but we are. Oh, my, sister, uh, my daughter watches all those. Big fans over those. here. Everyone on this, everyone who takes part in this podcast is a big fan of that show. Um, but anyway, but no, but that's interesting because I do think, um, particularly at that time, the like hunger for being on a reality show was now there's a little bit more, I think, of an element of you have to be like already famous in some way, like the Real yeah. Housewife kind of format. But at right. the time, it was like if you're willing to like 
eat poo off the floor, you can be on a show. <laughs> like we will put you right. on one. Right. There's no talent needed. Just, just, I would know, argue that takes a significant further. amount of talent, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a different kind of, different yeah. kind of talent. Um, so this is a question I've had about this book and I just, I want to throw it out. Like, does this, your book and also just, and then there were none in general for me, it strikes me as a worldview. Does that mm. hit you right? Like the book itself is a worldview. Yeah. I mean, I think my worldview would be, and especially through this book, um, that you can do what you want, but there's going to be punishment for it somehow. Um, you can do what you want and people are paying attention or, you know, entities are paying attention. Everything is fair game, including you. And that's how I look at life. Yeah. Do what you want. Say what you want, but there are going to be repercussions for that. People Mm -hmm. get to act or react to you. Mm -hmm. And I go through life like that where, you know, karma, whatever you want to call it, you just can't exist in a world and be a bad actor and just kind of not get in trouble for that. And this is my way of making sure that bad actors get punished because Mm -hmm. especially in America, if you're an awful person, they seem to win all the time. I didn't want that in this book. I wanted wanted them all punished somehow. Um, And this was, that that is my, my worldview. Yeah. That's and I'm sure for um, Dame Christie, definitely, probably, I mean, just her not uh, changing the ending um, for stage and screen or whatever, because there was a war, you know, that in itself is like, well, you're changing the nature of the book mm-hmm. and why we all kind of read it. You know, we sometimes there are no happy endings. Yeah. Um yeah, I again thinking back to my cancer experience. I'm 33 years old, dealing with something as big and serious as this, and it's not supposed to be me, right? Right. And it was, and that's not necessarily a happy ending. So, I her changing that, like, well, you're kind of pulling your punches there. Yeah. Say, say it because yeah. it's true. Yeah. I mean, it was during war, yeah. which is an awful, awful time. Is there a happy ending? Well, you know, what do you consider a happy ending? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, um, I think your take on it is much more steeped in your own, um, worldview beliefs, uh, like a morality. I think for her, Mm -hmm. like she really was just working out a problem set. Like, I don't, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like I don't get a, And that's why I think it's like, that book is like, I don't know, maybe 45, 50,000 words. Like it's, it's, it's almost a novella. Like it's so short. short. It's very short. So I think for her, it was about working out something as a craftsman. Um, and and even though I find it dark, I'm not sure that she was like digging into it in the way that you are. Um, and, and that's kind of interesting because it gives me a slightly different perspective on the book, which is that like, Oh, I thought this was dark. We can get way darker. Like Uh (laughs) we can get way darker. And, and you saying that, you know, here I am in, in my English class at college studying these sonnets and Shakespeare or whoever wrote them, they're like baubles. They're like things that he just kind of yeah. wrote while 
washing his clothes right. or something, you know, and y'all are studying the deepness of it. And he's like, why? Yeah, like, I just read yeah. to check, check, figure out the, this couplet or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like not everything is the most meaningful thing for everybody right. all the time. Yeah. And um, but that's the beauty of art. It is the beauty of art. And it's also, I think, you know, for someone like Christy, I always keep in mind like how much she was writing um, mm -hmm. and like her level of productivity uh, kind of just, she was really just producing, producing, producing because she was, she wanted to earn a living um, yeah. and she enjoyed the money that came from her books and she enjoyed, you know, that aspect. She wasn't really into the fame, but I think um, you kind of have to like then take maybe the worldview or like the moral of the story with a little bit of a grain of salt in that case, because I don't know that she's trying to push any particular narrative. Um, yeah. Although, you know, and I don't know if she did that this happened before, after, and then there were none, the mm. whole, her missing for 48 hours or whatever. Yeah. 11 I mean, days. <laughs> yeah. It's like, she's having this incredible publishing experience mm. and drama is happening at home. Yeah. You know, it's like her life wasn't, without uh betrayal no and it wasn't the, you know we're writing about in our in our books and in our characters so maybe if it was after uh, all that when she wrote it maybe it just hurt too much to go deep like that i, I think you that's know? that's so interesting i mean that so that happened in 1926 and she wrote and then there were okay. none ah. much later um, yeah. but that is something that she never even, it wasn't even in her autobiography. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. and it's embarrassing and it's hurtful and people know and mm -hmm. society knows. Mm -hmm. And when I go somewhere, are they thinking that? Mm -hmm. I mean, see, and I'm, I'm doing exactly what, <laughs> <laughs> what I said, maybe she didn't. Yeah. Um, but maybe she, yeah, she took that darkness and that kind of. Uh, anger and created characters that she could off without a thought, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know the internal exorcism mm -hmm. of all that, that happened 10 years ago. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, as I, I mentioned in the historical note, I really like the theory that she was slowly killing off all of her characters that she, you know, she like has, has like, uh, has said that, even though she loved her characters, there were times where they really annoyed her and particularly Poirot. Yeah. And I think that if you <laughs> then say, well, Justice Wargrave is Poirot, she's kind of making this evil version of him and then she gets to kill him. Um, yeah. And, it's, yeah. you know, I, I find that to be a really interesting kind of psychological impulse to want to like kill your darlings. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that darling could actually, you know, be the husband that you used to, you know, who used to love you. So, yeah. No, and that's such an American thing. It's like, yeah, nah, she was pissed off. That's what <laughs> <laughs> she is a woman after all. She is know? a woman after all. And she didn't express uh -huh. anger very often from what I understand. And, and women of like her station and at that time were really not allowed to. Uh -huh. Um, exactly. And uh, one thing and that so she art was the way to do it. Absolutely. And she and what what she always does quite interestingly, I think, is she always plays with the class issue in in Britain at that time and even though I would say she's not always kind to what would be like domestic uh whether uh like cooks cleaners uh valets all these type of people um she often makes it so that the reader has underestimated them or the detective has underestimated them 
Um, yeah. and, and she always kind of plays with that idea of like the people who you don't necessarily look at or see are often the ones you should be looking closer at. Yeah. The butler did it. The yeah. butler did it. Um, <laughs> so you've said that you didn't like the idea of changing the ending. Was there any part of you that wanted to extend any character in your book, a, a mercy? Miriam. I really loved Miriam. Mm-hmm. And as a, again, as a, uh, a woman, and I was of a certain age when I wrote that. Mm-hmm. And at this time, uh, friends, we were all married, you know, your friend group, and people were either divorcing or staying together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of my friends were being divorced and replaced. So there was that and she's going through that. And your kid being harassed mm-hmm. and bullied and what what can I do? I feel helpless as a mom and this is actually kind of a stab at me too. So it was Miriam that um, really I wanted her I wanted her to win. Um, I I still want her to win because mm-hmm. I know lots of women who are like that and there are pieces of me in her mm-hmm. that I would excuse. It's like, okay, well, we all go, we all go a little mad sometimes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. It was her. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. And I, I would agree. Mm-hmm. I really, I was really pulling for her. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really was. She, she was so fascinating. And so, um, just there were so many real elements like that. I think there's one point where she's like trying to put on a dress and she's bought a six instead of an yeah. eight. And she's like, I'm wearing it. I'm going to wear it. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I have so been there where you're just like, it better zip up. <laughs> you know, like eight spanks and you can't believe <laughs> yeah. what I am wearing. Yeah, she's like, I can't sit down, but know? I am going to wear it. Um, I really appreciated that about her. Um, and that she, you know, she liked good, she liked nice clothes. She had the bright green on when she was going over on the boat. I liked all of it. Yeah. 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 No, I, um, I, I had fun picturing every character, like if they were, if they were real people yeah. and, and there's this actress, her name is Lisa Ray. She's like the, I love, e- first lady I love Issa Turkey Ray. She's amazing. Person. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and that's who I thought of as I was. She is Miriam to me. Oh wow! I would yeah. not have placed that, but that is perfect. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you do that often? Like, think of visually who the person would be. Yeah, yeah. it's easier for me yeah. to um, that. It abstract thinking is hard for me in some ways. Like, mm. I didn't do good in geography because it's like I can't, I can't imagine that. So I yeah. need visuals to help me mm-hmm. yeah and they have print on me that way yeah I actually ha- yeah. do the exact same thing it's very helpful and it just it's- helps you write the there's certain things about like posture and like the like little quirks of how you hold your body that that once you have the visual you can like attach those yeah. things yeah 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 I, I I like it it's part of the fun part of writing you know <laughs> casting casting your story but you do such a great job of that. I mean, I've read most of your books and I just, there's always yeah. such great, like the stuff around all of us, the, what we wear, the, like, if you are a person who snaps an elastic on your wrist and like all these uh-huh. things that kind of make us like the bundles of weird nerves that we are. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for noticing that. No, I, 
because, you know, let's go back to the Spanx thing. Your whole personality <laughs> changes when you can't breathe or where, where it's like, I need to use the restroom, but I have to take off like three girdles and I can't do that. And so I'm not going to drink. You're, you're setting uh, your clothes. All of it affects your personality, what you say. Mm-hmm. Um how you're acting, how people perceive you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want my characters to experience that same kind of uh, living. I, and that totally comes across. And I just think like, uh, yeah. And like in We Lie Here, um, your main character mm-hmm. is like quitting smoking and that just like yeah. how it carries throughout the book, how she's just like at every moment is like, oh, really could use a cigarette. <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, it just resonates. It's like just so human. It's so phys- like phys- physical. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, if readers wanted to start with your books other than, um, and they all fall down, where would you suggest they start? I would say if you like procedurals, of course, mm-hmm. Land of Shadows, which yep. is the first of my Lou Norton series. But mm-hmm. for standalones, other than they all fall down, I'd say, um, ooh. And now she's gone, um, which is a story about a private investigator who is searching for a woman who doesn't want to be found. And once again, it's identity and mystery and who we are as women and as people. Mm. Another L.A. story. Fantastic. And I I will also recommend um, these toxic things. And we lie here. I like just absolutely slid through both of them they're so fast-paced and fantastic but the the main characters are so good and i was Thank so you. bummed that it they both ended <laughs> just one i know to, me too it's yeah. like oh can i make this a series but it's like oh no i can't do that because well, the magic is the you know they go off and you hope that they live happily ever after or something yeah totally yeah. but um both fantastic and um yeah and we'll have links for all of those in the episode notes and um, would you like to be found by the people? And if so, where can they find you? Uh, my website, www.rachelhousel.com. Mm-hmm. And also on Twitter, I'm not going to use the other name. I'm a dead name Twitter for like forever. <laughs> um, on at Rachel Housel. That's okay. my favorite of my favorite place your favorite place okay so we will have all that linked in the episode notes and i just want to say thank you so much for joining us tonight this was so much fun and i hope you had a good time too i did thank you for inviting (laughs) me this was a great conversation it was thanks a lot rachel hope you have a great night thank you and we're out Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. That I hope that you enjoyed that as well. That was so much fun for me. And, I do it. Yeah. It's one of the best um, interviews I've had for well, period, and then for this this book. So thank you for giving me the opportunity Such... to think about you know something I, I wrote. I wrote a few years ago. Yeah, that must it must be nice. Care about. Yeah, it must be strange to like you. I guess you do a book, you do like the promo for it for a while, and then it's like on to the next thing. That must be kind of yeah. strange. It is. Um, like I never, after a book is published, I never read it again. Really? Um, part, yeah, no, part of it is because, you know, if you're a writer, you're a writer. Yeah. Uh, you're always growing as a writer, right? You're yeah. learning new things. So when you look back at like things you've done, you find errors. You're like, oh, that was clunky. Yeah. Ooh, I should have done this thing. And so I don't want to be haunted by those things. So I just, I won't engage. I won't read it again. 
Yeah, I'm I'm actually struggling with that right now because I'm doing like a a second round of edits on a book and like just having to go back into it feels like <laughs> just like I left that's the other. I know I'm like I left this behind I'm so many fine. months ago. I've grown I've grown as a person since this. Like I'm done. Yes, yes. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know. I saw the most yeah. amazing Twitter comment. It was someone who was saying like you know, they say you need fresh eyes on your manuscript. It's like, I'm the fresh eyes, baby. I've never seen this before in my life. Like, that's how I feel once I've written something. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Yep. Well, may we all, may we all be able to leave our books in the past. Um, But thank you so much again for doing this. I'm glad we made it it work. Me too. Thank you. Thank you again for everything and have a great night. You too. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you to our producer, Kate Grishel, and our sound engineer, Winter Robinson. To stay up to date and get some extra fun info, you can follow us on Instagram at Tea and Murder. Rating and reviewing us really helps, so please do that if you feel so inclined. We're on all your favorite podcast platforms. Remember to follow us there and recommend us to anyone you think might need a little tea and or murder in their lives. Next episode is our first play. It's very exciting. We're reading The Mousetrap. Rent it from your local library, buy from your local independent bookstore, or if you need to buy online, we recommend bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores with every purchase. A link for next episode's book can be found in the episode notes. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Tea and Murder. We'll be back in two weeks. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns